Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to take our Bibles this evening and open to the book of Jude, and if you did not already receive one of the outline sheets, I know the ushers would be happy to put those in your hands this evening as we turn together to the next to the last book in the New Testament, the book of Jude, given to us by the Spirit of God to provide us instructions necessary for the last times. We're living in the last times. When we hear that, we often think, well, aren't those the times of the tribulation, the eschaton? And while that's true, uh, James tells us, brethren, it is the last times. The last times really include everything from the coming of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost until the day that the tribulation comes and then beyond the tribulation uh, when the uh, millennium uh, comes to be and the Lord rules and reigns with a rod of iron from the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. We're in the last times. And so because of that, the book of Jude is given to give us instruction with regard to apostasy, the falling away, false teachers, the seduction of the spirits round about, satanic snares that can cause our hearts not only to tremble, but find us moving away from the faith that's once been delivered to the saints. And so we open our Bibles to the book of Jude this evening. And as we open our Bibles to the book of Jude this evening, we find a strategy for those who would stand. Beginning in verse 20, Jude, the 20th verse, the Word of God says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. I'd like to speak this evening from this passage on what it means to live in the love of God, living in the love of God. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, this evening I pray You'd give us wisdom. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but You know And you've brought us here together this evening, Lord, as a church family, to find in your word those necessary truths that can keep us stable. Oh God, I pray that you'd watch over our homes, give wisdom to dads and moms, help children, Lord, in the homes represented here at Colonial Hills Baptist Church, to grow up in the faith, excited about the things of the Savior, desiring to share the gospel with others. Lord, may we as a church family together Encourage one another and exhort one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. As we open your word this evening, Lord, with open hearts, we look in this glass, this mirror. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to go out from this service unchanged, but ready and prepared because we know, indeed, we are in a battle. And you've challenged each of us to stand and having done all to stand, stand having our loins girt about with truth. And so may the truth of your word this evening find lodging in our hearts and prepare us for the challenges that we'll face. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Without doubt, the prodigal son is the most famous of the parables that our Savior preached. It's a wonderful parable. It touches each of our hearts. Some have called it the world's most beloved short story. In fact, Charles Dickens, when looking at the prodigal son, said it's the finest short story that has ever been written. All this is true, 
because the prodigal son is a story of love lost and love found. It's interesting to me that the half-brother of the one who authored the story of the prodigal son, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jude, is writing the letter that bears his name. And as Jude writes this letter that bears his name, he pleads with his readers to keep themselves in the love of God. You'll find that in verse 21. And I can almost hear someone responding this evening, wait a minute, Pastor Phelps, time out. I'm confused. Doesn't Jeremiah 31 and verse 3 say that God has said He will love us with an everlasting love? Isn't that an unconditional love? Isn't that a love that's always available to every believer? How then am I to keep myself in something that unconditionally and always available to me is ever surrounding me? That's a very interesting question. Jude comes along to help answer that question. In verse 4, Jude warns us that certain ones have crept in unawares. They're those who disturb the fellowship of the believers. They're false teachers. They're apostates. They've crept in. They've come in subtly. They don't announce their presence. In fact, often they're so subtle as to fit right in among the congregation. Certain ones have crept in unawares, he says. And they are murmurers, he tells us in verse 16, and complainers. They find themselves on the negative side of the spectrum. There's always something that isn't quite right, and so they have a tendency to complain and to murmur as they walk according to their own lust, verse 16 says. Reality is, the false teacher is seen as a libertine. He's one who's pushing for his liberties. He's one who's saying it's kind of a bummer to have to live fast according uh, to the standards and principles that are found in God's Word. And so that we might be kept in the love of God, we find ourselves challenged in the text to which we've turned this evening. Jude provides for us directives for victory. Directives for victory. He has been sharing with us over and again the characteristics, the portrait of those who are false teachers. He ends that portrait with a flare in the 19th verse when he says, these are they who separate themselves. The false teachers are the ultimate schismatics. They are the ones who cause division within the flock. And while often they will say, ah, 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 you who hold to certain standards, you're legalistic separatists. Reality is, there'd be no need for separation if there wasn't a caution given with regard to the apostates. They, he says, separate themselves. They are driven sensually. They desire what they desire. They live in the flesh. And the worst indictment of all against them is this. Verse 19 says, they have not the Spirit of God. In truth, Jude is identifying them as unbelievers. Now look at verse 20, but ye beloved. There's a contrast now that we find. He's speaking to the audience of believers that need to be warned, that need to be challenged, that need to have their spiritual feet under them. They need to be ready for the battle lest they be drawn away. He says, but ye beloved, and in verse 20 and 21, he's going to give one central 
theme, one central challenge, one central command, and that command is in the first part of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the command that we find in verse 21, and verses 20 and 21 form a unit around that command. When I was about three years of age, two or three years old, I know it's my earliest memory. My mother had dressed my sister and I up. We were going to have family portraits taken. We were living in northeast Ohio. We were living out in the country. I still remember liking to go, enjoying going out on uh, warm summer days and watching the farmers as they worked in their fields. And there was a, a ditch in front of our house where during the seasonal rains, the ditch would be more filled with water. My mother had dressed us all up for our family pictures, and somehow I was in the front yard probably waiting to get into the car and go for our pictures to be taken. But I found myself intrigued by the water in that ditch. And in those clothes that my mother had carefully selected for me to have my picture taken, I went down to that ditch and I waded around in the mud. I think this is my earliest memory because I think I still remember something of my mother's reaction. And it wasn't really pleasant. I think it scarred me for life. Somehow I recall that in my muddy state, I was desiring my mother's affection and finding it was invisible. It wasn't there. It had gone away. There was no affection that was responding to my earnest desire. And again, I've been scarred by it. I'm still working through it. Now, the truth is, my mother's affection for me had not changed at all. She still loved me. But she found me in a situation that caused her to say, I can't pick you up and hug you right now because you're the only member of the family that's going to have to have a bath and have your clothes changed before we get our pictures taken. Even so, when we look in Jude and find the 21st verse saying, keep yourselves in the love of God, we don't have to worry about being loved by God. God's love for us is eternal. What a blessing. Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And yet we can find ourselves moving out of the sphere of that love, if you will. Yes, we're loved by God, but we're not lovely to God. How do we remain lovely to God? Well, Jesus said in John 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And Judas said, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He's, he's talking about the dearness of the fellowship of the love of God. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Obedience to the Lord's commands impacts our relationship with the Lord who gave those commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in the keeping of my commandments, the Lord says, you'll abide in the center, in the sphere of my love. 
Yes, God's love is everlasting. God's love never changes. But the question we ask as we come to the book of Jude, are we living in the sphere of that love? 1 John speaks about that. In 1 John chapter 1, we read in verse 6, Now if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, ah, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Dwayne Lufkin, in his commentary on the book of Jude, made a statement that I thought was interesting and appropriate, especially in our generation. Lufkin said, the best things believers can do to withstand the malady of apostasy, the best thing that believers can do is to develop their spiritual immunological resources, to strengthen our immunological resources so that we don't fall. We're living in a world that's seeped in apostasy. We're living in a spiritually apostate time. And there's always a, a risk, if you will, of moving away from this sphere of God's love rather than remaining in the center of the blessing of that fellowship, in the sphere of that approachability to God and that love of God that we ought to so desire. Well, how then do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Jude gives us an answer. In fact, he says there are three things that we must be doing, constantly doing, always doing, if we would remain in this center of God's love, if we'd be spiritually strong in an apostate time. And what are those three things that strengthen our spiritual immunities in an apostate time? Well, first, Jude says, be building ourselves up in the holy faith. Build yourselves up in the holy faith. Verse 20, but ye beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. The faith that we sang about this evening when we sang, my faith has found a resting place. The faith that we sang about this evening is a faith that was foundationed for us. And what a wonderful foundation has been laid. The foundation was laid, according to Ephesians chapter 2, by the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and by the further work of the apostles. But there's yet work to be done, and so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, that according to the grace of God which was given unto me, the apostle Paul writes, as a wise master builder, I have laid the true foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold or silver or precious stone or wood or hay or stubble, every man's work will be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he will receive a reward. Every one of us is involved in the work of building upon the foundation. Jude is appealing to that in this 19th verse, or 20th verse, rather, the book of Jude. Ye beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. I want you to focus on verse 20 for just a moment. Jude, verse 20. How do I keep myself in the love of God? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Be actively involved, be engaged in building yourself up in the holy faith. And there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. But ye, beloved building yourselves up. 
he puts that word ye, the address to us personally at the front of the verse, for emphasis, to alert us to the fact that this is not a coast along to get along journey. This is an active engagement building ourselves up in the holy faith. The foundation is laid. Everyone has the opportunity to build. Will it be wood, hay, and stubble? Will it be gold, silver, and precious stone? It's up to us by the power of the Spirit of God to be building ourselves up in the holy faith. And this requires exertion. It requires exertion. It requires me to take inventory from time to time. Lord, how actively involved am I in your service? Are you the master of my life today? Did I awaken this morning thinking the blessing that is mine to serve the living and risen Savior? Am I going about to please you? Am I your love servant today in my activities? When I was just in junior high, a godly, aged Bible college professor came and did a Bible conference in our church that I think forever changed my life. It changed my life by hearing him sing a simple song. I don't think it's ever been published, and you don't want to hear me sing it. But the song simply went like this, Lord Jesus, think your thoughts through my mind, live your life through my body, speak your words through my lips every hour of every day, Lord Jesus, till I see you face to face. That song got a hold of my heart because it was a song of prayer of commitment. When we speak about building ourselves up in the holy faith, when Jude gives us that challenge, he's giving us a challenge to be involved with the Spirit of God in a daily exercise of uniting ourselves to the Lord and realizing that being built up in the holy faith is only going to happen if you're in the Word of God. Back in the book of Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus a church that he loved, men that he'd mentored. He knows that he's never going to see these men again. He's headed toward that which the Lord has before him, which will include incarceration and ultimately death. And knowing that this is the last time that he sees these men, the Apostle Paul challenges them in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32 with regard to apostasy, false teachers. And this is what he says. And now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up. The source of good building in the Christian life is and will ever be the word of God. So we're challenged in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2 as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. You can't build yourself up in the faith unless you're first of all in God's Word. And then God's Word living through you enables you to be involved in service, whether that service be in the nursery or the junior church or the Sunday school or in the neighborhood or the ladies' Bible study or in your workplace giving a testimony. Building yourself up in the faith requires the glue of God's Word and the power of God's Spirit. How do I keep myself in the love of God? How do I live in the sphere of that love so that that relationship hasn't been soiled? Build yourself up, he says, in the most holy faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then you'll notice that he says something more than that in verse 20. He says, be praying in the Holy Ghost 
praying in the Holy Ghost, staying in the sphere of God's love, requires prayer in the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to be careful here. There are some who believe that praying in the Holy Ghost means some kind of euphoric, charismatic, different language type of state of mind. That's not what he's speaking of. It's not some kind of charismatic ecstasy that's being spoken of in verse 20 when he says praying in the Holy Ghost. The point of fact is there's no such thing as prayer without the presence of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says we're to be praying also with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God dwelling within us that gives us the opportunity to communicate with God the Father by the power of the Spirit, Romans 8 says in verse 26, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There's no possibility of prayer without the presence of the Holy Ghost. But while we walk in the Holy Ghost and are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's the possibility of very powerful prayer. You know, prayer is an intimidating thing to some of God's people. I'm always mindful that there are Christians who find it awkward to pray aloud in a public gathering. Years ago, I have a dear friend, one of the most godly men I've ever known, a man who impacted my life greatly for the Lord. He was serving as a deacon, and he came to me, and he said, Pastor Phelps, just so you know, I'm willing to do anything, speak to anyone, clean anything, work around the church, anything you want me to do, just ask, and I'll be willing to do it. But Pastor Phelps, please don't ever call on me to pray in public. He said, one time I was standing at the communion table and the pastor asked me to pray in public. And he said, I froze. He said, I couldn't get a word out. It was the most embarrassing moment in my life. Prayer can be an intimidating thing to some people. Some people compare themselves among themselves and they're not wise. Why that person, when they pray, it's obvious that they're really communicating with the Lord. It's, it's like they have a steeple in their throat. They're just so godly when they pray. It's not wise to compare your prayers with others. Prayer is the simple communication of the Spirit through the power of the Spirit of God with an Almighty God who's invited us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And there are some who think, I'm not a very good prayer. You might find that you're actually the best prayer when eternity's volumes are opened up. That the sincere prayer, prayer of the simple child of God is what God desires and what causes us to be kept in the love of God. Someone has said, it's not about arithmetic of your prayer, how many prayers you pray. It's not about the rhetoric of your prayer, how elegant your words. It's not about the music of your prayer, how melodious your tones. It's not about the logic of your prayer, how methodical you are. It's about the sincerity of your prayer, how heartfelt you pray. How do I keep myself in the love of God? I want that. Well, I keep myself in the love of God according to this passage by being built up in the holy faith. That requires me to be grounded in God's Word and living for the Lord every day. I keep myself in the love of God by being a person who's earnestly involved in prayer and communicating through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then I discover keeping myself in the love of God at the end of verse 21 is looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
by waiting anxiously for the return of the Lord. By waiting anxiously for the return of the Lord, with His return on my mind, I find myself kept in the love of God, always living like today might be that day, waiting anxiously. Folks, we live in a generation in which the Word of God says, evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. Believers then are to be constantly living, eagerly living, anticipating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it cross your mind often that the Lord could come back today, now? Does it cross your mind often that we're closer today to the coming of Christ than we've ever been before? Well, if it does, 1 John 3 and verse 3 says, that he that has this hope in him purifies himself. It just makes a difference in how we live if we're living in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the challenging things about the generation in which we're living within evangelicalism, within academia, academia rather, in evangelicalism, there's been a vast movement in about the last 20 to 30 years moving away from prophetic conferences, moving away from overmuch consideration of eschatological themes, moving away from overmuch deliberate study of end times and chronological timelines within the end, line, end, end times. After all, some will say, these are too precise, these considerations of prophecy, and we can't be that terribly sure. And, and some, after all, have gone into excess and even set dates, and we don't want to be date setters. And so because of that, I'm finding a younger generation of ministers who are almost unwilling to speak of prophetic themes. And even when given consideration of them in times when they're being interviewed on topics like their ordination, they'll say, I haven't studied that terribly much. What a shame. Because the more time we give and attention to the consideration of the Lord's coming, the Word of God says, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. And the more we consider the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more centered we are in the love of God. There's a story told, whether fabled or true, I'm not sure, of a little girl who went to Sunday school and came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior the Sunday school lesson after all that day had been about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after lunch, her parents being ever so excited about what had happened in her life, she went upstairs to her bedroom. And she didn't come down, and she didn't come down. And her parents went upstairs to the bedroom, and they found her sitting, looking out the window. And they said, what are you doing? And she said, the Sunday school teacher this morning taught us that Jesus is going to come back. I'm looking for him to come. We ought to all live like that. Living in light of his coming will cause you to live in the center of the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How? By building yourself up in the holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by waiting for His coming. And it's wonderful to see when we look at the end of verse 21, and the coming of the Lord is on the heart of Jude. He says, we're looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This coming that He's describing is filled with the mercy of God and ends with that eternal life that we so long for. 
in a place where friends will be there that we've loved long ago. Now, Pastor Phelps, that's not all that complicated. I think I could have figured that out on my own. Exactly. Jude is writing to us who would live in the end times wisely. And in writing to those who would live in the end times wisely, he's sharing profound truths that are simple to understand, but sometimes staggering to live. Living in the love of God means that I'm expecting the coming of Christ, that I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, that I'm building myself up as the Spirit of God would give me ability. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Phelps. Doesn't the Spirit of God build me up? Yes, but your activity is also essential. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that we're to work out that which is worked in, that we're to live out that which God has done. And so there's participation in this work of sanctification. It's not just a passive journey. It's not a matter of one day when we arrive in heaven and the Lord is giving rewards and we stand before the judgment seat that we'd say, well, I never was struck with that lightning that I waited for. God's going to say, hey, did you open my word? Did it abide in your heart? Did you live in light of my coming? Were you living in a spirit of prayer? If you are, isn't this wonderful? Simple enough you can tell your children, here's how you live in the love of God. Now, if you're living in the love of God, Jude says there are certain duties that come your way. In verse 22, there's a conjunction that ties this together. And the same address now is being given of some have compassion making a difference. He's speaking of the duties that we have toward the victims of the apostates. And what are those duties? Well, healthy believers who are kept in the love of God Healthy believers are agents of mercy who stretch out their hands to others who have fallen away. And it's a remarkable thing how often the Word of God challenges us to be involved in the lives of others. So that by being involved in the lives of others, we can help give them instruction lest they fall. The Lord Jesus spoke to His disciples about restoring someone who's offended another by going to them and taking others and even telling it unto the church if necessary. Galatians chapter 6 says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering also yourself, lest you likewise be tempted. I find that one of the most difficult challenges in living the Christian life of obedience is the challenge of tapping a fellow Christian on the shoulder and providing for them a word of warning. It's a challenge because all of us fear the rejection of, hey, what's it? it's not your business. It's a challenge of the burden of knowing that when you challenge someone else, as it's always been said, one finger pointing out and four fingers pointing back. That's why Galatians says, ye which are spiritual resource such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you likewise be tempted. But there's this obligation that the Spirit of God has given to us, and it's spoken of here in the book of Jude, and it's spoken of in the context of the terrible apostasy that can cause our souls to be swept away, and in the context of what it means to remain in the love of God. If you're remaining in the love of God, and the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, then you have a responsibility to minister to others lest they fall. Earnestly contending for the faith sometimes means contending with other believers who are slipping away. 
And so Jude speaks of this responsibility. And he reminds us that not everyone who's slipping is in the same category. Some are sincere doubters. Some have compassion, he says in verse 22, making a difference. Now, the King James Version in this passage makes the distinguishing mark of this first group those who need compassion so we can make a difference. Technical here, but bear with me for a moment. The King James translators are translating this with something called a nominative. If you translate it a different way, and it's a very fair translation, with an accusative, I think it makes more sense. If you're translating it with an accusative, the same word will be translated this way. And on some have mercy. On some have mercy who are in doubt. Or have mercy on those who are doubting. Or in have mercy on some who are doubting. And some have compassion making a difference, literally. On some have mercy for their living in doubt. Jude wants stable believers who are kept in the love of God to make an impact on those, to have compassion on those who've been impacted by apostasy, recognizing they're in the sphere of doubt they're not being antagonistic. They're certainly not going to the point where they're atheistic and denied the faith. They're simply living in a place of doubt. And for them, we have a responsibility. Years ago, a car was hijacked, carjacked, with a four-year-old boy in the car. Police, after the fact, believed that the carjacker didn't know that the four-year-old boy was in the car and the car was stolen because the car was found in an obscure place. The back door of the car was open and the little boy was gone. And so when they found the car, of course, they were in desperate search for the little boy. A search party was put together trying to find this little boy and the person who perpetrated this crime. And one of the people in the search party was a Vietnam vet. And the thought crossed his mind, if I was a four-year-old and I was left alone in a car, what would I do? So he looked at the scene and he thought, I think I'd walk up this road. He walked up the road until he found an old abandoned house. And on the, the house, there was a swing on the porch and some newspapers on the swing. And he saw the form of a little child there. And as he came close to that little child, he called out, Billy, is that you? And the child, not seeing the one who was coming near, who was in the shadows, said, Daddy, is that you? Daddy, is that you? Billy, is that you? Daddy, is that you? Until they came together. And the man said, Billy, I'm not your daddy, but I'm going to take you to him right now. That ought to be our spirit when we are faced with those who have slipped into doubt. And reality is, week by week as we gather together as fellow believers, there are those who are doubting some things. They need the gentle spirit of some who'd say, I want to take you back to a relationship with the sphere of love that you know so well. Back to daddy and back to the Lord. Some face serious danger. He speaks of them in verse 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Jump in and save them. You can see that if they continue in that path, they're going to be really burned. And may your conscience burden you if you see that they're going in a direction that can cause them great harm. He's speaking here like 
the angel who rescued Lot from Sodom before the fire fell. The angels came and took Lot by the shoulder and dragged him out. Sometimes this bold intercession is necessary. Speaking honestly, lovingly, but boldly. Hey friend, if you continue in that pathway, it's going to scorch your soul. You may lose your family. You may lose your testimony. You may lose your integrity. You may even lose your life. Some are facing serious dangers, and they need the admonishment of those who are kept in the love of God. And then he speaks finally to one final group when he says, some are saturated with debauchery. Hating now this third group, even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. Oh, you save them with fear. You hate the garment spotted by the flesh. You recognize that this person is in such a debauched state, in such a situation, that I need to be prayed up. And I need to be protected spiritually even before going in there. Because 1 Corinthians 15 says in verse 33 that evil communications can corrupt good manners. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us that a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Only those who are kept in the love of God are ready to be doing a spiritual rescue mission. We thank the Lord for surgeons and doctors who study to understand what it means to work in a sanitized environment, in a clean environment. Whether they're scrubbing for surgery or just practicing what they've learned by way of careful techniques so that a germ-free environment can be enjoyed when the body is in need. Even so, the Spirit of God is saying in this passage, friend, in apostate times, there are people who are going to need spiritual surgery. And there, are need, there is a need for those who will be first responders. The, fir- the spiritual first responder is someone who's abiding in the love of God. And it's not that complicated. Abiding in the love of God means building yourself up in the holy faith. It means praying in the Spirit. It means waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.